I'm McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers, thank you for joining us in the Awaka My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5 most popular show in the world, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice so they can create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Harpreet Gill. She is a financial advisor and educator, community leader, and entrepreneur. She has taken her passion for community work and entrepreneurship and combined it with her love for educating people on financial literacy and providing financial solutions. As an individual who grew up in a marginalized community, she noticed the lack of literacy and the barriers to access sound financial resources and advisors. So she decided to take the problem into her own hands and bridge the gap to ensure Canadians have a trusted individual who is relatable and takes a bottom-up approach to financial planning. She's on a mission to change the lives of everyday individuals and families, and her goal is to revolutionize communities by teaching people how to build and sustain wealth through a holistic community-based approach. Please welcome to the show, Harpreet Gill. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, McKinney. I really appreciate you having me. I feel so honored. Thank you. I'm excited for today. Thank you. I am beyond honored that you agreed to come on and share your story with us. I've been following everything that you've been doing online and watching your journey and the impact that you're making. And it's always an honor when women like yourself agree to come on and share their stories. (laughs) And it's amazing that you have this beautiful platform for women like myself to be able to share our stories in the first place. So thank you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. All of our stories are relatable and all of our stories matter. So ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get to where you are presently, uh, as an icebreaker question, I love to ask, uh, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? Because I feel like children have these vivid imaginations before society starts to shape who we are and what we believe is possible. So share with us, what did you want to be as a little girl? That's honestly a really good question. And honest, I don't remember up until like maybe grade four, grade five, I really didn't have any aspirations to be anything of (laughs) any sort, to be quite honest. Um, Both of my parents, like neither one of them ever went to school or anything like that. So they're both illiterate. We never got put into a box of saying, you know what, you need to go to school for this or that. Um, They just knew that, you know, we weren't educated and it's important to get education and it's important to learn how to read and things, things like that. And I would say around like grade four, I really, not that I can sing or anything, but I really thought that I wanted to be a singer. (laughs) 
you know, you get you get um, introduced to all these amazing girl groups like, you know, Spice Girls and Destiny's Child. And I used to always like with my friends at school during recess, we used to do like little mini concerts, not even in front of a group of people, but just like we would pretend like we were either Beyonce or one of the Spice Girls <laughs> or whatever, singing and performing. But I would say when I got into middle school, I started to have an aspiration to to play or be involved in basketball because that's what I was doing heavily at that time. And then uh, by the time I was like 15, 16, I had a really bad knee injury. I dislocated my kneecap and tore my ACL and things just got worse and worse. And, you know, the dream of doing anything with basketball went down the drain and I wasn't really good at anything else. So I didn't know what I wanted to be, to be quite honest. Okay. Okay. So tell us how you got into financial literacy. What was your, your journey like? Share that story with us. Yeah. Financial planning, you know, this is not a space that I would have ever thought in a million years that I would have been in because math skills are not the greatest. Um, and I was so scared to do anything with numbers. I remember by the time I got into the ending of high school, I was like, you know what, maybe I want to get into fitness training and nutrition and, and, and wellness and things like that. But when I took a look at the type of courses you will have to take, which was heavy, heavy in math and science, I was like, that is not my, my forte. So I'm not going to do that. So I definitely didn't think that I would be here, but uh, my background is actually in social work. That's what I did for 17 years before I came into the financial services industry. And my journey really started because I wanted to learn more about money myself, in particularly mortgages, because I was like, you know what? One of my goals is to be a homeowner one day. I know what a mortgage is, but I don't understand how a mortgage works and what you got to do to actually mm -hmm. get one. So I decided to actually make an appointment with an advisor uh, with my bank that I've been banking with since I was probably 15. And uh, I was so excited thinking I'm going to go and get some information. And the lady asked me to put my bank card into the machine. And she looked at my account and she's like, well, you know what? You can come back when you have about $60,000 in your bank account and we'll talk oh, to wow. you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I was just like, uh, what do you mean? Um, I just want to ask a few questions. So that way, when I am ready for a mortgage, which I'm most likely going to be coming to you guys for, then at least I'm prepared. And she's like, no, 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 honey, just come back when, when you have about 60000 and we'll talk then. Now, I'm not saying every banker or advisor that you meet is going to be like that. But that was my first encounter ever trying to reach out for, mm -hmm. you know, just outside of the, your day-to-day -day banking services. And it, it, and it just left me with a terrible taste in my mouth. And then um, I just kind of started to go and like research and learn things on my own. But there's just overwhelming amount of information. There's a lot of information, but there's not enough information to show you how to apply the knowledge that you're actually gaining. And even if you do get um, the knowledge, one source tells you one thing, another source tells you another thing. Mm -hmm. And then you also find a lot of um, literature on like American um, rules around money. And so there's very limited rules to learn from when it comes to like Canadian, how money works. So I just started teaching a lot of the youth that I was working with just the basics, you know, your mindset around money, saving, budgeting, credit, didn't know anything more than that. Even the credit, like it was just based off of the things that I was learning. And I think that, you know, they say when your your energy starts to kind of be concentrated in one area, yeah, then your with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was so blessed. Actually, my best friend, she got invited to go to this 
seminar and uh, she told me she was going to go learn about money. And I was like, girl, you're going, I'm going to invite myself with you. And um, went to that session with her and it was the best thing I could have ever done for myself because that one session, it was about maybe 30, 40 minutes in length, but the gems that I received, it literally just changed my mind completely. And I was like, I didn't know what I didn't know until I got to that meeting. And I was like, okay, I need this lady in my life. She needs to help me get my stuff in order. So I hired her as, as my advisor and maybe into my like second appointment in, I was so fascinated and, you know, things just started to click. Like it was what, it was like an aha moment for me, the second appointment. Um, Cause I really started to become fascinated to the point where I was like, Ooh, I, I can kind of see myself doing this too. Mm-hmm. Um, I went into social work thinking, you know, I can help to create systemic change, but you realize, you know, after 17 years, <laughs> <laughs> the system <laughs> is not designed to help people thrive. <laughs> and especially like in social work, you'll notice that a lot of, and I think this is in, in almost every industry, a lot of the frontline workers are people of color. And then the higher up you go into rankings, more managerial positions, you know, ED and things like that, the fewer people look like us. Um, there's no real representation. So these people have never experienced the struggles of the clients that we're serving. We're as like the bottom people telling you know, this is what we got to do, but they're just not hearing us. And and it was, it, it's a whole mess. And even though when I got into positions of management, I just never fit the status quo because I was always vocal about injustices and they just never liked me for that. Yeah. They liked me because of my work ethic, but they didn't like the fact that I would speak up. And to me, that was one of the most frustrating things. And then, you know, going back to that appointment, I started to realize that, oh my gosh, these two worlds are actually really interconnected with one another. Social services, we are relying on services when we are lacking financial resources. And so if I can empower and educate people how to manage and control their money, then we eventually will get to the point where we have access to money that leads us to ownership. And ownership is the only thing that can really help us to create real systemic change to some aspect, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I asked her at the time, I was like, I want to know how you got into this industry. And I was so nervous. She was going to tell me that I had to go back to school. I had just graduated a year prior to. um, And I was like, if she tells me I have to go back to university, it's it's a big no-no. It's it's not happening. (laughs) She's like, you know what? My brokerage that I'm with actually offers like an apprenticeship, like an opportunity. Um, and, And right now at the time I was working five jobs and she's like, you're working hard and you need to change your mindset and learn how to work smart. There's only so many hours in a day, girl. (laughs) There's only so many hours. And I didn't even think about that at the time. I was just like, okay, wherever I can get a hustle, you know, I have my full full time. And I I knew that I didn't want to work extra jobs that were on the books because I knew it had to pay a lot of taxes, but I knew that I needed to work cash jobs. But other than that, like, I'm I'm a slow learner. You know, I'm very slow in that aspect. Things don't click until I actually go through stuff. And you're a hands-on um, learner. You're not a slow learner. We all learn differently. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and that was just like the moment when she told me, you know what, I can actually go through apprenticeship. At the moment, I was like, 
I'm not even really thinking about the big, big picture. Like I know I want to get into it to help other people, but I I don't know if this is going to be for me or for, or not. And I kind of went in this mindset thinking, you know what, I'm going to go through it. The best case scenario is going to be that I come out, I've learned information and I can pass this on and help other people and also then make an impact in my own life as well and, and have a sort of a career change. And the worst case scenario is I find that this is not for me, but I'm still going to come out with more knowledge than I had before. And so when I do step into any sort of, you know, financial institution, I'm not going to get taken advantage of. And that's where my journey really started. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So there's so much I want to unpack there. I don't even know if we'll be able to get to all those (laughs) things. I also have other questions I want to ask, but like, okay. So I want to start with the fact that you know, well, I also, just like you grew up in, you know, a marginalized community, you know, I grew up in government housing. So I know exactly what you're talking about when you talk about the people that need the social work help. So for you to be able to see the problem and want to provide a solution, because we're not taught those things growing up about mortgages and saving money and investments and all those things, because we're basically all in survival mode, we're not taught how to thrive. Right. So for you to to see a solution and to to want to be able to go back and educate the youth on what's missing <laughs> from the communities, that in itself is just a beautiful thing. And that's one of the reasons why I admire the work that you do, because I've seen that from the beginning of how you work with the people in the community. And, you know, one of the other things I wanted to unpack is that, you know, like you said, the people at the bottom, the people that need the services look like us, women right. of color. Right. Right. But then the people at the top are the old white men. Mm -hmm. And because of their experiences and their paradigm, they don't resonate with the experiences of the people that need the support or the help. Yes. Um, And then I want to like touch on the lady at the bank that I want to (laughs) backhand. First of all, there are so many ways that you can get a mortgage without having $60,000 in your bank. (laughs) That's right. right? <laughs> so I used to do real estate full time for six years. So I understand the complexities and the different ways that you can have, you know, creative mortgages and first and second mortgages and private lenders and all those things. But a yeah. traditional bank, especially someone who works in a bank, and that's the other thing, you know, bank tellers, they know general information, right? When you go to uh, a financial planner or a mortgage broker, they are experts in those particular fields and have information that a bank teller may not have. So for any woman who is listening, your bank teller don't know everything about money. Okay. <laughs> and you know, funny enough, this wasn't even a teller. This is an advisor at the bank that I actually made an appointment with. Even worse. <laughs> even worse. <laughs> but you know, one thing that I, I, I've, I did, which I didn't know at the time that I know now is that the bank is a lending institution. They're not, they don't have time to educate. And even though, you know, to me, I'm just like, if I was an advisor within a bank, I'm going to at least give that person some information because I could be the person that opens the door that can, in the next couple of years, they could be your biggest client, right? Because I could now be that person's client if if she had actually told me the information. But you know what? It's a blessing in disguise because maybe if she didn't reject me, it wouldn't force me to go and learn on my own and all this other stuff, but the bank really just boils down to being a lending institution and, and they make profits off of our debt. And so it doesn't, you know, really benefit them to really educate us about things like the rule of 72 or compound interest or any of these, you know, financial concepts, because 
they're not necessarily for us, you know? Right. So I, now that I look back and I'm like, okay, that's exactly why it is. And, and I'm not saying that every advisor at a bank, like I said, is, is going to be like that. I'm sure there are some amazing ones out there, but that was just my first experience. And I've heard so many people, um, not necessarily the exact same story, but similar situations, yeah. not being able to get that information from their advisor at their bank. But I love how your perspective on the situation where you took that rejection and said, you know what, I'm going to go educate myself. You know, majority of the women who come on the show, their pain birthed their purpose. So because that woman didn't see you as someone in a position to purchase a home, you said, you know what, I'm gonna do this on my own. I don't need your help. (laughs) So not only did you go and learn, but you came back and taught other people that needed that information. So that in itself is a beautiful thing. And then- to even <clears throat> to even uh, step back to your point of you know you said both your parents never went to school, right. right? So for you to be in financial literacy and to be doing the work that you're doing, helping to make that impact um, for people to have to be able to leave their own you know legacies. Um, I believe you also mentioned yourself were a litter until high school. Is that correct? Yeah. So, you know, um, up until high school, I would say maybe around grade 10, I wouldn't say fully illiterate, but I only knew how to really read basic words. Even till this day, like if you were to ask me right now to read something on a screen uh, right now, I would stumble over words. I would probably not know how to pronounce every word that I see. Um, and, And I use Google a lot to help me, you know, read words that I can't read myself. So I still struggle with reading till this day. Um, but yeah, my, neither one of my parents went to school. They're, they're both farmers. They grew up in a village, um, you know, w- like, you know, very poor and just didn't have access to the education that, you know, some people might've had. And, um, but my, my dad, he's very like, uh, street smart, very business savvy in a sense that he didn't teach us any of that kind of stuff because I think that he felt he was a struggling entrepreneur for a good chunk of his life. And he didn't want us to have to go through that either. So he thought coming to Canada, getting, you know, a good education and then potentially getting a good job and living that, you know, American Canadian dream, what yeah. as you call it, right. Um, where you work for a company for X amount of years and your pension and everything is set. But that's just not the reality of the world anymore, right? We don't live in that type of a society. Um, the labor market has shifted so much. Um, and, and yeah, like for me, reading, just it just wasn't my thing. I think it was grade nine when things started to shift a little bit because I had such an amazing English teacher. And I God knew I needed this man in my mm. life because I got him for three years in a row for wow. grade nine, 10, and 11. And my first year in his class, I got a D. The second year, I got a C. And then by the third year, it went up to a B, which I was super proud of myself because, you know, even like reading in class, I would, I'd be that person that's like, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me. put my head down. Um, and, and like, not to say that I'm, I'm fully confident in my reading now, but at least I could still read something, understand yeah. and comprehend it and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I owe it to him, Mr. Wing, Richard Wing, if you ever listening to this podcast, That's just know amazing. I appreciate you. <laughs> I, I love that for so many reasons because I have friends that are teachers and I could also give an example of a teacher that changed my life. And her name's Miss Smith as well. <laughs> but the beauty in having an educator that cares 
And for you to be an educator that cares, it makes a greater impact on the people that you're trying to help because they can feel that. So, you know, when you have a teacher that could care less and they just expect you to do the assignments and come and go and whatever, you don't feel compelled to get the results that you could be getting. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you have a teacher that cares and you were blessed enough, like you said, to have that teacher for three years in a row, how that made an impact on your life going forward, how that helped to build some confidence in you going forward. And then now for you to be that same example, to lead by example, especially like when I think of your, your situation, your story, I think of my mentor, Bob Proctor. He only had one week of high school education and people are like this man, he's a billionaire. And he's a thought leader, an international thought leader. So I'm not someone, so let me rephrase that. I believe in education, but I'm not someone who wholeheartedly believes in the traditional education system. Right. Right. And I can agree with you on that for sure. Yeah. (laughs) There's so many other ways to thrive. And yes, we do need to understand certain things, but I believe that our traditional school system is teaching kids to conform, teaching kids to memorize and not necessarily absorb the information that they're being given and um, not showing them the life skills or where they can apply this information. So their interest is not there. You know what? And I love that you mentioned that because it just kind of brings me back because for myself, like you're talking about conforming. And for me, because I wasn't able to learn the traditional way, it was very hard for me to conform to the system. And so the things that were expected of, you know, students, I just wasn't up to par with that, which allowed me to become, I guess, intelligent in other kind of ways, which I'm so grateful for because to now, like, I just think about like building relationships. Relationships is, I think, one of the most important things that we can have in life. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to have a plethora of friends or anything like that, but being good to people and and being someone that people can trust, I think that to me is like one of the most important things because anything else after that, you can really learn if you really put your mind to it, um, whether you get yourself a mentor or you find a strategy that works for you. Even like I talked about financial planning, I was so scared because numbers. But once I started getting more involved in it, thank God we have calculators because I'm going to pull up my calculator and say, hey, you know what? I don't know what a hundred times, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Or what you also start to realize our deepest fears is nothing what it is like in our actual mind, how we perceive it, right? what it is in real life. We create that own image or visual or whatever that's not real. Right. And and the more involved I got in financial advising, the more I started to realize that it's really little about numbers. It's mainly about rules and understanding how to navigate those rules. Because when we think about, you know, wealthy people or people who are struggling with money, we all are living under the same umbrella, whatever system we're living in, but how they navigate the system is very different than how we navigate the system. And it boils down to understanding how the rules of money or society really work, right? Absolutely. Like I'm going to work backwards from everything you just said. So what you talked about with money and how it being about rules, I believe everything in life, like God is a God of order. Everything okay. is about rules. If even if yeah. you study law of attraction, it's about principles and rules, right? So it's sometimes, let's say people who are believers will look at people that are not and be upset that they're thriving with certain things. Yeah, but they understand the rules, the orders and the principles, right? Yes. <laughs> so yes. being able to, to thrive at anything, it's about understanding the rules. So yes. you don't have to be great at math to be a financial advisor. You understand the principles. 
And then you spoke about fear, you know, an acronym I knew growing up um, for fear was false evidence appearing real. And um, I turned that around when I wrote my first book and I looked at it as face everything and rise. Oh, I I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Because like, usually everything that we want is on the other side of what we fear. And once we're able to push through that terror barrier, that wall of fear, that's where the rewards are. That's where, whether it be, you know, being rewarded in in tangible things, whether it be being rewarded in gratification, uh, whether it be, you know, being rewarded in what you're able to do for other people or how you're able to feel, it's on the other side of what you fear because Mm -hmm. we've created this false image in our mind of what something is going to be like. Right. We're terrified of the unknown, right? But I strongly believe that fear and faith are both beliefs in the unknown. We get the ability to choose. So if there's a situation that I'm afraid of, it's trying my best to back it with my faith so that I can push through that fear and reap the benefits of what's on the other side of that, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so let's, I guess, get into outside of, you having or even wanting to learn about about financial literacy and the things that you've had to learn in terms of like an adversity aspect you Mm -hmm. had some health challenges that I guess pushed you even further to want to get into the financial sector well actually the health challenges what made me realize the importance and it wasn't at the time when I was going through my health challenges it was one of those you know, hindsight, 2020 visions type of situation um, because I was introduced to financial advising and planning through life insurance. And to me, that's so interesting because I was one of those people who would swear I would never get life insurance. It's a, it's a, it's a scam. It's a fraud. You know, why are we talking about our debt? Like these kind of things that were so culturally ingrained to kind of think about, but also because I've had insurance agents in the past come to me and try to sell me insurance. And, and I just didn't understand it. And I'm like, why am I paying into something that doesn't benefit me until I die. Well, it doesn't even benefit me, you know, benefits the family. And, and and not to say that I was trying to be selfish or anything, but I'm just like, I'm struggling right now. So why do I care about getting insurance with money I don't have for yeah. when I'm dead, right? Yeah. And, and um, when I was uh, between the ages of uh, 19 to about 25 years old, I was diagnosed with an ulcerative colitis, which is pretty much a tear within my intestines. And it was causing severe internal bleeding. And it just started off like, honestly, I thought it was my period um, when I first seen the blood inside inside the toilet. And and I'm the type of person, I don't really panic too quickly when I, you know, when it comes to, you know, I guess health situations or whatever. And I was like, okay, you know what, it's, it's my period. It'll, it'll go away. But then, but the, the weird thing was it, it would only, the bleeding, I would only see it when I would actually go to the toilet. So it wasn't like, you know, I would see it in my pad or anything like that. So something just didn't seem right. So a couple of weeks had gone by and I was like, okay, you know what? This is not normal. I got to go to the doctors. And uh, I went to my doctor and, and he's one of those people who actually, let me reverse that part. So he, they made me go do all these testings and stuff. And they're like, we'll call you within about a week or so. Um, they called me that same day after the test. And so I knew it was something serious. And uh, the lady's like, we need you to get in here immediately, like as soon as you can get here. And I was like, okay, I'll come tomorrow. 
Um, and my doctor is very nonchalant. Like he brushes a lot of things off, you know, which I kind of like because, you know, he doesn't really force the the Western philosophies of medicine, like mm -hmm. just putting you on prescriptions like that. Uh, but in that moment, I knew he was really concerned because he took my face and he's like, everything is going to be okay. And I was just like, and when you hear a doctor, you know, and, and my yeah. doctor's never like this. And I'm just like, everything else just kind of went out the window. He had mentioned ulcerative colitis and all these different things. But at the time, I didn't even know what he was saying. He's like, he pretty much said, you know, the amount of blood loss that you've had, we're surprised you're still alive. Oh, wow. Um, but he's like, but everything is going to be okay. And so that just kind of started where one thing led to another. And um, I, I was spending about $2,000 a month on medication. And mind you, 19, I was still working, you know, little minimum wage type of jobs. Um, and, and it got to the point where I had to work about 17, 18 hours a day. So I was working in the daytime at the community center from about nine to five. And sometimes later than that, if parents didn't come pick up their children on time. So uh, as soon as my shift was over, I'm like running to my house um, just to be able to get enough sleep, to get up for uh, 9.30, to get ready for my overnight shift at Tim Hortons. Wow. Because, you know, minimum wage at the time might have been like about eight something, nine dollars or so. So to think about, you know, having to spend two thousand dollars just on medication and that's mm -hmm. not even any sort of like living expenses it was a lot to deal with. And and I didn't realize at the time that there were products like critical illness insurance and things like that, which would have allowed me to just kind of, you know, sit back, relax, take care of my body, because I am a true believer of, you know, the healing process. Like if you're putting more stress and, and, and I, I, at the time, the doctors couldn't pinpoint, they would ask me like, what did you eat? Like, did you travel anywhere? Did you eat anything unfamiliar? Because they couldn't really pinpoint how this ulcer came about. And now that I'm looking back hindsight, I know exactly what caused the ulcer. And it was stress. Um, uh, between the ages of 16 to about 19, I was I was dealing with a court case for a rape that had happened. I was raped when I was um, six years old by my next door neighbor. Wow. And I was uh, dealing with, you know, the rape and being molested for from six to about 16 is when I had like my breaking point. Like I couldn't hold it on anymore. I couldn't not not talk about it. I couldn't hide it. And um, funny enough, I, I took this, took this class called PPC Peer Mediation Counseling or something like that. And uh, I took the class because it was an easy class. Now, mind you, remember, I don't like school. <laughs> I always wanted the easy classes. Um, everything happens for a reason. Um, and in that class, what we used to have to do is a couple of people every day would have to share a problem. And it was a very small knit, cl knit class, about maybe eight to 10 people maximum. And other people in the class had to help you think of resolutions to your problem. And I'm a very like, uh, I guess, guarded individual. So I would come with fake problems. Oh, my friend's pregnant. She doesn't know if she should keep the baby or not. Or like, just, just yeah. fake and then every Friday we had to submit a journal and I would always write a fake problem because I'm like, I know I need to get this grade and I'll, I'll write about my fake problems. And that's what it is. But there was this, that one Friday, my neighbor, he was just 
it, it got to the point where he would know my schedule. He would watch me through the window. He would wa- he would be waiting outside. I would literally have to wait behind a bush so that way I can literally run inside without him seeing me or anything like that. And, and it was like, just imagine having to go home every single day for 10 plus years. And that's what you have to deal with, just mm-hmm. trying to avoid being raped or molested, you know? And that day he was standing up there for a very long time and I just couldn't bear standing and waiting anymore. So I just cut, ran to my house. And as I'm running, he's making all these whistling and howling noises. And it just mentally got to me that day, like on a, on a completely different level. And I wrote all the details of what had happened to me in that journal that I needed to submit to my teacher from, from when I was six years old and handed it to her and didn't realize what I really did or the consequences of me writing in that journal and what had happened. And um, she had pulled me a Monday morning from one of my classes and she just held me. And that was the first time mm-hmm. that like, you know, I was able to like even talk about it or even feel emotional because I kind of suppressed my emotions for so long. And um yeah, after she and I talked, she's like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to report this because you're you're still 16. And, you know, as a as a teacher, my my job can also be on the line. And that's when like the fear started to kick in because I didn't tell my parents about this. I nobody knew about this. She was the first soul that I ever told any of this information to. And um, then later I found that, you know, because I was 16, I guess it's that like soft area where it's like you're not a minor but you're not an adult so they don't have to tell your parents but the teacher still has to report and now we got to go through trial and I I was happy about that part because I really didn't want my parents to to get involved I just never really had a healthy relationship with them my dad was an alcoholic growing up and stuff like that and just that's a whole completely different story but now looking back at hindsight I know exactly what caused my ulcer it was you know, dealing with all of those things for so many years. And then that trial, like as much as I was dealing with that stuff, I don't know if at any point I felt depressed. I want to say, I don't think I did because I I never really looked at myself as a victim um, of my circumstances. Like that's just, I think God blessed me with that ability to not have to think about that because I think if I did, it would have been even worse. Right. Mm-hmm. But those three years, like having to relive and go to court and have him see see him there taunting me and laughing while I'm telling the story. And, you know, it that was the first time wow. I actually felt real depression. I felt like my body felt heavy, aching, headaches instantly, like loss of appetite. I just wasn't feeling my, like myself. And I'm a very, like, I love to laugh. I'm Anything can make me laugh, you know, but like during that time, like anytime I was dealing with the court stuff, it just was, it it brought a different emotion. And I think at the end, when everything was through with the trial and stuff like that, it's, I think my body just unleashed itself with the ulcer and then created the bleeding and stuff like that. And some people will say, you know what, well, there's no evidence. You don't know that for sure. I know my body now and I know exactly what I went through. And the fact that it happened like literally right after everything was done with the um, trial case and everything like that. I don't think it's a coincidence at all that that's what had happened. And, you know, now being in financial services, I think a lot of times when we think about financial planning, we think about saving, budgeting and investing, which is great. 
those are all important aspects of building wealth. But many of us don't even think about what do we need to do to protect everything because it takes a long time to build it up. And I think about imagine if I had if I was going through that situation now as an adult, it would have impacted me differently because now I'm a homeowner. Like if I need to pay two thousand dollars a month for medication and then also think about, you know, mortgage and all these other things, it has mm-hmm. a different type of impact. Whereas at least I was you know, still had the blessings to live with my parents at that time. And I didn't have to think about major expenses that still, you know, like even though every dollar was going towards my medication, I couldn't have imagined doing that as an adult when I have more responsibilities. Or if I had children, for example, like that impacts us in a different kind of way. And I think the lack of education just makes people run away from these type of conversations and these type of products. And that's why I, you know, I don't, I don't really talk about this story a lot just because I don't know. I'm just, I, I don't ever want people to feel sorry for me, but I think it is something that I probably should be a little bit more open with. Cause then it just helps people understand where this passion is coming from on a deeper level. I have goosebumps right now. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, first of all, thank you for sharing your story with me. Thank you for being so vulnerable um, with us. And I'm truly deeply sorry that you had to even experience that for such a long period of time. But like you said, your story and your truth, you're not playing the victim. So it's not like, you know, you're using that as an excuse of why you can't do things. Your, Your story is your truth. That is what happened to you. But you sharing that like you said, it does speak to your passion behind what you do, but it also, for those women who are listening, who may have had a similar experience growing up, childhood sexual abuse or any type of other stressors that they were afraid to talk about and and deal with, your example of how you've still been able to push through that struggle, to persevere, your resilience, all of those things can be the blueprint for someone else who's listening, who had the same situation that has never spoken about it. You know, I know other women that have been sexually abused as a child and still haven't told their family members and we're in our forties because they feel a level of shame behind it and they're holding on to that shame. And they have in turn now had a buildup of health issues. So there's so many things that totally correlate that people don't realize. Mm -hmm. And I have a an addiction to reading like psychology books. And there's a couple of books that I've read this year where it totally explains where you're totally right of how your body kept the score of the stress that you were dealing with. And maybe as a trauma response, like you said, thank God, your trauma response allowed you to still function and to not sit in that, but it was keeping the score of what happened to you. Right. And when you were able to finally release and process those feelings the toxic feelings that you had suppressed, they basically create, um, it's like rewiring, you know, within your body that causes the different illnesses. Right. So oftentimes we don't realize as adults, especially when we have chronic illnesses, autoimmune illnesses, all these things are related to stress and things that our bodies dealt with previously. Yeah. I have an autoimmune disorder and I didn't understand it fully until the last two years. And I was diagnosed back in 2006 Wow. You know, they back then they used to label everyone with fibromyalgia if you had chronic pain that they couldn't understand. Right. But now that I've studied psychology and how the brain works and how our bodies, um, because we're all energy and when we have that energy that is not in harmony, 
how that causes a vibration within our body. Yeah. Um, yeah. And instead of using the word disease, it's a body that's in dis-ease. Yes. Yes. So understanding it now, like you sharing your story, there are so many women that are are listening that may have had similar experiences or presently have a health condition or something that they can't explain. And now you're going to give them that aha moment. Right. Um, so thank you for your transparency. Well, thank, thank you for even having this platform because, you know, like when you reached out to me, I was like, I know what your podcast platform is all about and I don't want it. I, this is the first time I'm actually on a public, you know, platform sharing my story. And, and I know it's be, like it, it, you, you encouraged me. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. That, that means a lot to me. And this usually happens like after we're done recording, a woman will always say that's my first time sharing that publicly. And that makes me emotional because that, that says a lot. You guys feel like this is a safe space. Right. Um, so for, for you guys telling your story and for the women listening, this is a safe space. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> so, I mean, you've got so many superpowers from what I'm <laughs> hearing, <laughs> but I would love to know what you feel your superpower is. I would say my ability to connect with people. Um, that's one thing that I think even in this last, you know, three, four years starting my business, I, I think I had an idea of it before, because even when I, I started working in this industry, like in, not financial services, but like doing social work stuff from when I was 15 years old. And so I knew even then, like there was something different because the same kids that wouldn't listen to a, one staff when it came to me, like they, they had a certain kind of respect for me. And I think it's, um, you know, just like you mentioned, when you, how you make people feel comfortable to share on your platform, I think that's how people feel with me as well. They feel comfortable to like, I'm a financial advisor, but I feel like a counselor, you know, cause I'm not just talking about money and then saying, okay, you know what? I don't care about what anything else is happening in your life. I just want to know about the money details. No, it's about everything else that's you know, leading you up until this point that maybe not creating the most healthy patterns or habits um, or the way that you're spending. It's it's because of other reasons. Right. And I and I think that to me, I would say is like one of my superpowers is the ability to allow people to feel comfortable when they're around me and um, and not feel like they're being judged. Yeah. Yeah. I I truly agree. You Telling your journey, like even with social media, you know, you, you talk about, you talk about marginalized communities, you talk about how, you know, the youth is uneducated about certain things, your, your passion and what you do shines through. And you spoke earlier about believing in the power of relationships. And that was the point I meant to get to that I couldn't remember at the time I knew it would come back. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, you talk about relationships and I think what people see in you is that you legit care. Yeah. Right. You know, there, there may be other counselors when you were in social work that probably got into social work for other reasons or no longer had their passion in it. But people can resonate with you because they can feel that energy. They can feel that you actually care. Yes. Um, and then even, you know, with now with the financial stuff, like you said, you feel like it's more um, about the relationships and, and counseling because you care. If you right. didn't care, it would just be about the transaction. 
Like when I was in real estate, that was one of the things I always said to my clients. It's not about the transaction. It's about the relationship. Right. right? So you actually care. It's not just about the dollars and cents for you. You, you yeah. care about the background of the story of the person and their future and their present. You actually give a shit. <laughs> 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 yes, and sometimes uh, to, to uh, no, I don't want to say that. I was going to say sometimes th- too much, but I, I, I'd rather too much than too little. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I feel like you're an empath, and because empaths have the ability, because we're such nurturers and we feel so much, sometimes we feel like we're doing too much because mm-hmm. there may be people that either don't value it or don't um, seem appreciative, and. Right maybe people who are complete takers and not reciprocating. Uh, But that doesn't mean that you should change who you are. It's just about who you allow into your inner space to give that energy to. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, one thing that I heard so many times last year that, that resonates with me is uh, you don't attract who you are. uh, You don't attract who you want. You attract who you are. And one of the things that I felt, so often from even a child is that I constantly attract people who start off like friends and then all of a sudden something happens like like an underlying jealousy or something and I'm just like I don't even understand why because I want everybody to win like if you're in my circle I'm not that person who's going to hoard information or resources I'm willingly giving in in fact I'm like what can I do to pour into you to help you to get to where you need to be right And then I'm just like, why am I constantly attracting this type of person? And one thing that I heard over and over, it's not, you don't attract who you want, you attract who you are. And so I had to look inwards even more, although I'm a reflective person, I'm like, what is it within me that am I missing something that I'm trying to fill this void? Is it because I didn't feel loved as a child that, you know, I'm, you know, just looking for people who need to be loved. So I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I still haven't pinpointed that yet. I have an idea. <laughs> and the only reason I have an idea is because I've been in your shoes. <laughs> so, okay. they. It, here's the thing. I truly believe that we can only attract what we're in harmony with. And yes, we our relationships are a mirror reflection of who we are. Right. But then also in the last three years... I had to do some deep, deep, deep digging and healing and self-reflection to understand some things that are similar to what you're speaking about, because I had a habit of attracting men with narcissistic personality disorder, and they just want, they are takers, (laughs) right? But then what I learned is that these narcissists are attracted to empaths. So as empaths, we want to give and nurture. But as narcissists, they thrive on the nurturing. They want what we have. So they come in and they also try to emulate our qualities because deep down, like they're empty shells, lost souls. So they're trying to emulate, you know, your qualities and who you are. And, you know, there's narcissists in, in friends, in family, in, you know, all kinds of people, not just relationship partners, but they basically... They admire you, but they hate you for who you are, right? So oh, the things that you're you're seeing and their jealousy and, and their ways, like deep down, they're envious, right? They have all yes. of the, I'm going to say, I want to say negative um, characteristic traits that despise the beauty of your characteristic traits. 
So if that gives a little bit of light. Yes. Your- <laughs> Are you sure this is not a therapy session? Girl? <laughs> I am a coach, you know. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> No, yeah. that makes sense because, like everything you're just saying, that's the type of man that I usually feel like I attract myself to. Hence, why yeah. I'm still single. <laughs> yeah, so I had to go a couple years of being single to, you know, learn my lesson. But they yeah. say that it's really just about learning self care and self love a lot deeper, yeah. because we may have had parents or caregivers. Or even in your case, where you were sexually molested as a child, where you were taught that your needs don't matter, Mm. right? So many of us as adults are walking around functioning, but we're still dealing with our childhood wounds and responses from things that happened in our childhood. So it's learning now as adults that your needs matter, that uh, you are a priority, learning to set healthy boundaries and all of those things will reprogram your belief in yourself and the type of people you attract. And I'm just saying that because, like I said, after my past experiences and having to be single to learn that, I feel like I have completely attracted a man that is everything I thought wouldn't be possible for me. Mm. Um, (laughs) The level of love and affirmation of who I am as a person, as a soul, as a being feels very fulfilled right now <laughs> oh my gosh I'm so happy to hear that that's amazing thank you, thank you. <laughs> now that's my first time talking about it publicly but anyways <laughs> first time, first time. today's all about first time <laughs> before we get into all of my business can you please tell the people where they can stay connected with you online <laughs> yes absolutely um so you can follow me on my instagram which is harpri h-a-r-p-r-i-t gil g-i-l-l underscore and that's my my tiktoks i suggest starting to do this little TikTok stuff a little bit more. Um, my website is heartbreakgill.com. You can contact me, email me uh, at contact at heartbreakgill.com. I help with insurance, investments, debt management. So if you need help in any of that area, I'm more than happy. Um, and I also offer free webinars on a monthly basis as well. So if you want to just come in and learn, tap into my Zoom webinars that are they're absolutely free and they're accessible to anybody all over the world. You're absolutely amazing. And I will definitely have all of your contact links in the detailed section so they can click and they won't have to search too far. Thank you so much, McKinney. I really appreciate you having me on your platform. Thank you. So for the final segment, it's just like a rapid fire. I just ask like uh, five quick um, reflection questions. I call it a walk in her wisdom. Your answer can be one word or one sentence. We've been breaking some rules today already, so I might (laughs) ask you to unpack. Hopefully not. (laughs) All right. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Oh, you're getting deep. Okay. (laughs) Um, I know this is a a saying that is from almost every scripture, but treat others the way you want to be treated. Because I think that so many times, especially like we live in this world where it's just about individualism, we forget that helping other people will in return help us in the future as well. So treat people kindly. You don't know what people are going through and just, and just, just be kind. I think that's so powerful being kind. I think it's a word that we use very loosely, but it has Mm -hmm. so much power to it. 
Okay. What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? I would say shifting identity to get to the next level. Um, that is something that I'm still working on myself, but my mentor tells me all the time, in order for you to tap into the next level of greatness, you have to now learn about the next part of your identity that you haven't even met yet. Yes. I love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Okay, Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. I'm going to say the very first book that I ever fully read. Well, I used to read the Eric Jerome Dickey book. So, but the first book that I actually read front to back that wasn't a Jerome Dickey book was Catcher in the Rye. And that was the book that kind of got me interested because it was so unconventional. They, they, you know, swore in there, they were being so deep with the feelings and everything. And I was like, Oh, okay. Reading is not so bad after all. all, Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What failure has taught you the most about life? Failure is so important. I think that like, in order for you to get anywhere, you have to fail. Failure is not failure. It's a lesson. And I think for me, I was so used to quote unquote being a failure my entire life in school. You know, like I was always like the underdog. So for me, I'm just like, failure doesn't scare me because no Mm -hmm. one ever expects more than from me than what they think. So I don't really care. Mm -hmm. And, And for me, I think that's another like power, not that I have, but my circumstances has allowed me to um, see that failure is just a part of life. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever received? Don't listen to anybody about what you internally feel good about that people are trying to sway you off of. Um, I think far too often we're getting advice from people either who haven't been in our shoes or haven't tried everything that we've tried. And so they project their own insecurities or their own failures onto us. And that's one thing that I've learned is that if you internally in your heart of hearts feel good about the direction that you're going in your life, you don't need any affirmation from anybody to let you know that that's the direction for you. I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> we can do like a whole episode on that. Cause I strongly believe the exact same thing. Like, Nobody has the right to tell you how to feel and everyone else will have an opinion on what you're doing or what they think you should do. But that's based on their perspective and their limited beliefs and their, um, you know, past experiences and environments, not yours. And what you feel in your spirit, that's the truth of who you are. And that's the vision that God gave to you because it's for you to manifest that and bring it to reality. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. See, I told you we would like yap like until there's like no time left. Thank you so much, Harvey. Honestly, like I truly appreciate you sharing your story, um, not just with me, but with our audience. You gave so many gems, so many lessons. This is like such a fruitful episode. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed having this conversation. So much wisdom, so much laughter, just so much reflection. I I just love it. Thank you. Thank you. This is the, the reason I do this show. It's it's fulfilling for the guest, for myself, for the listeners. Um, and it's just been a blessing. And I want everyone who is listening 
to go and make sure that you follow Harpreet, like screenshot this week's episode. Let us know what resonated with you. Make sure that you tag her. You can tag her at Harpreet Gill underscore. You can tag myself at the real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. Yeah.